Today's episode is sponsored by the Guided Cycles. Guided Cycles offers death transitioning services, end-of-life planning, grief facilitation work, and bedside and community visuals. Guided Cycles also offers a variety of educational projects and upcoming trainings. To learn more, you can visit www.guidedcycles.org. That's www.guidedcycles.org. Also, follow them on Facebook and Instagram under the name Guided Cycles. Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Get your soul fed and your spirit red. This here in the trend. I possess the power from way back when. Back when folks were stripped from all of their kin. So they had to find the magic within. Ancestors and gather my urge. I conjure at my altar. Hoodoo Plant Mama. Manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can't have a culture like us. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Hoodoo Plant Mamas. I am your host, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. So, Danny B, how are you doing today? How are your plants? Um, I'm good. I, my plants are okay, I think. Um, I just started reading All About Love today. So I got through the introduction and I'll probably read another chapter, um, today, but I'm going to read it slow just to process everything. Um, I feel like it kept coming up, like, and I was like, okay, it's time to just read it. Um, shout out to the listener who sent us an ebook of that. But yeah, that's where I am. I'm a little exhausted, but I'm here. How are you? Um, I agree with your decision to take it slow. I think when I read All About Love, I just read a chapter um, every morning. But I want to take a page from your book and say that I've had a bad week. <laughs> I, uh, so when I was in Mississippi, I learned that, you know, there are, I think the strains of the Delta variant has tripled. Um, and so the rest of my trips were canceled for August and September. And then I came home and there were like two tropical storms headed my way, may develop into hurricanes, who knows? Um, And then I got like five rejections in a week last week and I took it very hard. I cried for like three days straight. Um, And I think this is a good episode to talk about that because we're talking about grief. Like I am just so annoyed with people who are like, oh, these bad things happen. Just get over it. Just keep moving. Just keep pushing. And I'm like, no, can I just feel terrible for a second, please? <laughs> um, it very much reminds me of my nephew when he was like seven or eight. He did that to me and he was like, he was angry. My sister said something to him. He was angry and he was like, Titi, I just want to be angry right now. And I'm like, oh my God. But yeah, it was, it was triggering because it reminded me of how 
you know, when I was a child, I wasn't allowed to be angry. I wasn't allowed to have these big feelings and yeah. And so, yeah, it's just making space (laughs) for those feelings. How my plants are doing. My money tree is dying. (laughs) Um, I don't know what happened to it. The leaves started falling off. I put it outside to see if outside would fix it. And it, the trunk is like rotting. So it's still out there. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So yeah. Anyway, let's get into some gratitude. What are you grateful for this week? Um, so this kind of telling my business, but y'all know I'm a writer. Um, I just finished the Lambda Literary Retreat with the nonfiction cohort. I did not tell them that I had a podcast, but it's in my bio. So maybe some of them will find this, but I'm so thankful for that experience. We got to work with Saeed Jones, who is a writer and poet. And yeah, I'm I'm just so thankful for that experience and for the love and community we were able to cultivate, even though it was virtually. It's usually in California, but uh, Covidisha is still, you know, re- rearing her head. She said, I'm not finished yet. Encore. So, you know, we made the best out of a not ideal situation. So thankful for that today. Yes. Amen. Um, I'm going to say I'm grateful to uh, my hairstylist. Her name's Tosin Elizabeth. She's in the Brandon, Tampa, Florida area. Um, I'm grateful to her because like, I was so nervous about going back to Mississippi in August, you know, the heat and humidity. Usually I just wrap my hair up and I've really been trying to like, listen to black natural hairstylists. And so she, when I went to go see her for my haircut before I left, she was just like, like, if you're worried about that, just do this, this and that, this will help you. And like, because of her, guidance and her advice like I was able to wear my hair out in Mississippi I was not that worried about the heat and humidity and I think I looked really cute so shout Um, out to not a curl out of place (laughs) shout out to my (laughs) hairstylist shout out to all black natural (laughs) hairstylists so yeah wow that makes me miss my hair um Well, before we get into that amazing interview with Julia, listen, I feel like we're going to keep saying this, but Julia is like one of those day one supporters when we probably had like, what, 10 streams in a day and, you know, she might tag us and be like, ah, you know, the podcast episode was so, you know, good and it was just, it's a treat to have her as our first interview. So before we get into the interview, here are a few ways to support the Hoodoo Plant Mamas podcast. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to monetarily support our podcast. You can join our Patreon. We brought back the $2 tier for those who want to give every month to show their support. Our $5 all access tier includes monthly mini-sodes, tarot readings, and plant content. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can give any amount you want on Cash App 
at dollar sign hoodoo plant mamas or paypal at hoodoo plant mamas at gmail.com if you're interested in sponsoring an episode email us at hoodoo plant mamas at gmail.com we especially want to work with black indigenous poc owned and queer owned businesses but if you're a white business wanting to support the work of two black women we'll take that too so as danny said we are super excited about this interview so let's get it started So today we are joined by Julia Mallory, uh, who is the author of Survivor's Guilt. Julia, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much, Leah and Danny, for having me. Um, I am Julia Mallory, writer, poet, creative. I work in a, a variety of disciplines. I think poetry is my first creative love language and storytelling is, is the, the main, I guess, vehicle that I left to do my work in the world. Today, we wanted to talk to you about your latest book, which is Survivor's Skill. And so we wanted to know, is there anything you would like to share about what the book is about? So Survivor's Skill is, um, it is about generational grief. Um, it crystallizes my experience as a child loss survivor. Um, my oldest son, Julian, um, it's been four years since he joined the ancestors as a result of, um, of gun violence. And I, you know, as a writer, it's like, oh, okay, I know I'm going to write about this. Um, but I didn't, I didn't expect to, to really connect it like across the generations. And then the book came out at the end of 2019. Um, and then very quickly, <laughs> the next few months, who would have known that we would have been in the throes of monumental loss. So I actually just re-released it um, in the spring of 2021. Um, as an opportunity to, to update it, I think, and to just really mark time um, to acknowledge, you know, all the folks that we've lost in, in that window of time, so. Yes, I know for me, when I had started reading it, it was really heavy in the beginning. I would have to, like, read a few, like, uh, poems and then put it down <laughs> and then come back to it and then read a few. So I wonder what it was like to write that, like, did you have a similar experience writing that? Was it super heavy? That's an interesting question. And so I do realize, I think as an author, I think I might've somewhat failed <laughs> my folks because I I really should have put like a warning on it. People, <laughs> I, I get that a lot. Like people are like, oh girl, I love it, but I just couldn't read it straight through. And I'm like, oh my gosh, definitely, please don't read it straight through. Like, it's definitely something that you have to, to take in doses and let it breathe. Um, but for me, honestly, I don't really know where I got the strength to write the book. Um, I just started writing it. And I think for some reason I was able to kind of switch to a more technical feeling. Like I'm getting this thing done. I'm, I'm sharing these stories. Um, the first go round didn't feel as heavy to me and getting the work out. Um, I don't know, it was almost like I was outside of myself. So the experience itself, the first go round did not feel, it didn't overwhelm me, if I'm honest, it didn't overwhelm me. Well, I'm glad you said that because I actually, this wasn't even a question I wrote down, but it just came to me. So when you mentioned how you felt like you were outside of yourself and it 
had me thinking about like rituals where people do like writing rituals. I used to do this thing where I would light like a candle and then like some of my short stories, that's how I felt. Like, I don't remember writing this, but I wrote it. Um, so do you have any sort of like, was there a ritualistic process when you were writing this or did it literally just come and that was just that? I think it just came to me, if I'm honest, like, because I think if you read the book and um, I say that Survivor's Guild, the first thing I was trying to write is not what I ended up writing. Um, and so that process felt really daunting, trying to extract these stories or mine these stories that were just not interested in coming through me. So that felt a lot harder. My writing rituals, to be honest, um, I don't really have a lot, like really just to sit down and write. Like the work just comes to me and I let it flow. There are some times where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm about to write something that feels exceptional. Let me let me light a candle. Let me put some water out. Let me, you know, do a little smoke clearing or something. Um, but that's so rare. Like, I have to be honest, <laughs> this is very rare. Um, and that is a sure sign that I'm feeling a little stuck. Um, because I have to be honest, when I when the words are coming, like I don't need all that. I can just lay in the bed and write on my phone. Like if I'm just if the work is just there, it's just there. I love that you say that because I find that a lot of people want to know writers' rituals, and I feel kind of guilty because I don't have one. I'm just like sometimes words come in my head and I write them down. <laughs> I don't have like like a set ritual. I don't like get up at a certain time. I don't write a certain amount of days. I don't <laughs> do this thing. It's just like words come to me and I write them down. That's it. You know, I think definitely respect, you know, folks do what they have to do to feed their work. Um, but for me, it really is just the biggest ritual is the be, to be honest about when the words are present and to find a place to put them. So, okay. I want to start with this prose piece, which is in conversation, I think, with Survivor's Guilt, I think it, it was so timely for me because I had been thinking about, like, grief beyond death. Because when people write about grief, when they're talking about death, even though I'm not, I haven't experienced, I have experienced a de deaths, but I haven't experienced a death that caused me, like, this deep grief, although I have experienced that type of grief that people talk about and I kept trying to understand like maybe this isn't like this isn't grief because I was always associating it with death and in that piece there was like this this particular paragraph that I want to read says grief is birth for many things usually why they wait so long to come and see me for people that haven't read it there's a speaker that people come see about grief Okay, can't understand why their heart is so heavy over people still breathing on this earth. I had a woman come see me about losing her job. Turns out she hated the job, but the job was a reminder of how far she had come. She needed to mourn the parts of her that needed the identity she associated with the job. And I was just like, damn, like, <laughs> because it like the whole, the whole thing was just like felt affirming that grief is is so like layered um it's not just this one thing um and so kind of getting into my probably poorly worded question um I was so curious about the speaker 
And at first, when I was trying to be like fake deep about it, I was like, oh my gosh, what if it's grief? Like, what if grief is the speaker? And then I was like, after a couple of reads, I was like, okay, no. Um, But I was curious about like, obviously as a writer, you don't have to tell us who the speaker is, but I was curious about like how you came to that speaker that was so wise, but also like um, this like healer figure, specifically when it comes to grief, even with having like a book as like a reference, almost like their Bible. I'm just curious about that because it was so like, yeah, I can't even, I don't even have words, but this is one of the like one of my favorite things that I've read like in a while, unattached from like a book. So. <laughs> wow, I appreciate that so much. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for that. It's, it's a flash fiction story. Um, and how did I arrive there? So I said to myself that I, I in 2021, I wanted to publish, um, or was it 2020? I was determined, I knew that I was supposed to publish um, in my mind, my timeline, this arbitrary timeline that I often give myself. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put out another collection of poetry. Um, and I started there because I've been doing a lot of um, genealogy work. And I just felt like these stories were coming to me. And, but for some reason, I was like, it's going to be poetry. And so I was trying to come up with all these different ways to continue to develop the form that I uh, came up with the Haiju and I was going to do all these things. But the, the main thing, the title is derived from, um, the title is derived from, um, the collection was, is, is supposed to be called a concise catalog of deep, deep grief objects. Um, but there's a book that looks at, um, astronomical, uh, objects and it's called the concise catalog of deep sky objects and then I was like oh what if I could link like grief as being its own constellation and then there'll be these stories and all of that so that's originally how I arrived there and then one day I was just like oh I think this there's no there's not going to be a collection of poetry that's dead I can already feel that but I'm thinking that I'm supposed to tell this story about the concise catalog of deep grief objects as being a literal catalog. Um, and I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I wish I had some really, some, I will say sometimes my best ideas come because I, I just started with the initial feeling that I had and then I get to where I need to get to. But I really don't know how I arrived at that speaker. Um, I, it's not biographical necessarily, but I do think like I've been holding a lot of compassionate space for folks that are grieving. And so I did feel like a special connection to people that are literally seeking out someone to help them uh, manage and mitigate their grief. And so I'm channeling some of that in it. And I definitely had in my mind kind of this, this kind of everyday person that just does the work without a whole bunch of like excess and you know, how we kind of get into this very aesthetic based type of um, spirituality and healing. So I don't know. I, don't, I wish I had like a really good answer to be like, but the speaker is like a real person, but not a, like an imagined person and channeling like just kind of just different scenes that I think I've, I've witnessed or things that I imagine. Um, and just some of my own experiences encountering people that 
that are, are trying to do grief work? Yeah, I mean, the speaker felt so familiar and I was, you know, I was picturing like women in my community that I remember being this person that, I don't know, it's like every time I interacted with them, I felt like better, like as a, mostly as a kid, like they always said something sweet to me. Um, I knew that they were a person that other women went to. And so it reminded me of that type of like, healer in the community um so yeah I was super curious but I thought I mean I think that's a good answer I definitely think that sometimes like spirit moves us in particular ways and that's usually why we just can't pinpoint like I don't know like I don't really have an answer to that and so but I I love that because that that piece even though it's fiction it spoke to me like in such like a necessary way so yeah I, 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 was gonna, I love that you get the kind of like around the way type of energy from the speaker because I think that is something that I'm also um and 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 I hate to say this because sometimes I'm just writing the story as it's flowing to me I'm not necessarily trying to make a particular point um and so but I do feel like in in that story the outcome definitely feels like it's a person that's trying to show like, hey, you know, you can just be a regular person that lives up the street, but that makes yourself available and accessible to people in their time of need. And you can have a practical tool. Um, and some of that is just being able to offer people comfort, right, in a very basic and ordinary way. And so I don't necessarily, I know that I did not sit down with the intent to write a story that said those things. But as it came and it started to be developed and I like, um, sometimes I'm good with writing. I'm like, oh, I know what the first line is going to be. Oh, I know what the last line is going to be. This story, I wasn't like, I wasn't necessarily feeling the last line. Like I, I wasn't coming up with the ending so well. And then when you said that you feel like it's in conversation with survivor's guilt, I was thinking about some of those you know, matriarchal feeling, uh, uh, people in my family. Um, and then even so much as using my like great, great grandmother's name, um, as the person who is the healer in this particular story. Um, so yeah, but I'm, I, I, I definitely hope that more people find the story. I think it's a, um, I really love it. So I have to probably just promote it more. Cause I think sometimes when you're publishing stuff, it's like, oh, I shared it that week it came out and then we move on, um, which I think is not, it's is definitely not good, right? So I wanna make sure to them, like I need to go back and reclaim and reshare that work as well. So I wanted to talk about um, the additional chapters that you put in uh, Survivor's Guilt with your re-release. Um, so you talk about the historical discussion of whether Black people grieved, felt pain, or cried. And I know you referenced Thomas Jefferson. Um, and then you went into the current pandemic where grief is ongoing and inescapable. So I know for me, like in 2020, when everything slowed down and I didn't have these distractions at work, I didn't have this long commute, I didn't have all of these things stopping me. Like, I remember crying for a month straight um, because there was so much grief that I had been running away from 
um, and that I refused to face. And because I had to sit still, I had to face it. So you wrote a few times, we cannot avoid our grief and be free. So I wanted to know your thoughts about grief as a part of liberation work. I don't even know how that phrase came to me, but occasionally, and I might've been in conversation because sometimes, um, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I process things sometimes externally, but I'm really thoughtful and deliberate. I think also sometimes like what I say, but I think I was in conversation with someone and I was like, oh, wow, okay, I'm gonna write that down. Cause sometimes like things will come to me in conversation with people. Um, but I think for me, like we saying we can't avoid our grief and be free. I think, um, and I just released the story too about uh, reflections on Juneteenth about how uh, grief work is also freedom work. And, you know, one of my um, creative cousins, she says, um, Eris Smallwood, she says that black people, we have to reclaim our black ass emotions because there's so much, and I hate to, I mean, I know I, I went so far as the Thomas Jefferson, I think just because he specifically said that our griefs are transient. He specifically used that language. Um, and the, the, the document that is referenced, is interesting because it's a well-known document of his, a well-known paper of his, but I don't feel like historically has been treated as such like a really bad perspective on black people. Um, and so in engaging with the text and, and, and using that, um, I'm like, wow, I know I went that far back, but it's still something that persists today, a perspective around black people. Like, um, everyone always talks about how black people are so resilient. Um, I'm like, it's even part of my, my brand tagline. Like, so I get it, but I don't, resilience was like, resilience is not supposed to be an absence of true reckoning. Like it's, it's not supposed to just be this thing that we just keep, you know, sometimes we, we, at some point we're going to lose our bounce back. A lot of us have lost our bounce back. Um, and that's the part where I think where we can't run from our grief anymore when it's not escapable. And so I think the biggest thing um, when I see grief as being a sort of liberatory work and freedom work, I think is definitely this idea of us saying, um, I'm not going to push past the things that are hurting me or harming me. I'm gonna say, ouch, right? Like I'm gonna advocate uh, for myself um, and the people around me. And this is not to say that obviously black people are already doing this, but I do think, you know, I, I realized like as I was, um, you know, parenting um, at a pretty young age and I was like, oh, I didn't wanna be a strong black woman. Like that was something that I knew I did not want to be. Um, but then it didn't take me long to be like, oh girl, it doesn't matter if you wanna be that or not. Like society already has created the conditions for you to become that. And so I think that part of us, you know, keeping it moving and all of those things, I get it. You know, we, because sometimes the loss is so pervasive that we're just like, okay, I don't have time to stop and, and, and engage it all. So I try to also come at this from a very shame-free perspective because I don't, black people to me didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, Yes, I want to be grief avoidant. Yes, I want to hide and bury my pain. Like, I don't, that's not what happened, right? <laughs> it's just literally, it's so many conditions that are commanding our attention and trying to figure out how do you tend to yourself. Um, and I know now the new terminology and phrasing and all of that about being vulnerable. And, um, but we are very much in a world 
where, and I talk about this in Survivor's Guilt, where our grief is still, can still very much, and our vulnerability can still very much be weaponized against us, right? And so at the same time, I'm always still encouraging us like to be like, okay, what is the best opening? Like what's the best thing we can do for ourselves today um, and not um, avoid it? I know for me, I lost my father suddenly when I was 13. I talk about the sense of harvest guilt, but I knew that when my son was killed, I basically had ran out of places to go. Like all the grief that I had not processed, you know, loved ones and close friends and people who died way before their time. Um, I just knew that if like, basically my, I felt like I was really at a crossroads and it was like, if you don't handle this, it's going to handle you and you're probably not going to make it. You're probably not going to survive this. So I had ran out of places to go um, as far as grief was concerned. So with black people and saying that, you know, grief work um, is a um, freedom work. It really is too like, yes, we can get the degrees, we can get the education. And a lot of us, myself included, um, you know, capitalism makes it feel like material possessions is also like supposed to be a type of freedom. So for like, it's supposed to bring a certain type of peace. And I'm not going to like disavow that because the reality is like, I'm not one who like, oh, money, money doesn't fix things because we have real problems in capitalism that require money. So I get it. Right. But I think a lot of us, we get to a place where we're like, oh, I got the degree, I got the car, I got the relationship, I have the kids, all the things that I thought were on my list um, in the absence of true healing work. And then we realize like, why, why is my soul still unsatisfied? Why do I still feel um, untended to? Um, and so that's why I'm saying like, how can our pursuit of the things outside of ourselves, like alongside taking care of ourselves, particularly about grief, like mourning the, the ending and beginning of things. Um, because even when we are acquiring these things, sometimes this means we also had to let something else go. Um, and I just found like, when I really started paying attention to my grief and also being in community with people that and we're intentionally talking about grief, I'm like, oh, wow, there's so many nuances that we never talk about. And Danny, I think you were hitting at this about the story, um, the concise catalog of deep grief objects about the person who had lost a job, right? And even though they didn't like the job, but the job was a symbol about how they had, you know, how they had like journeyed to a place where they felt comfortable or where they had a certain level of success. So for some of us, you know, um, especially in capitalism, where it's just this constant perpetual pursuit of what's next. Um, so then we get to a place and we're like, oh my goodness, like I don't feel the things that I thought I was going to feel because I did those things. Or um, I think also for folks like me, like if you've grown up in the hood too, I think there's always this conversation, like people always, when you get into these like traditional professional and academic spaces, there's always like this distance that people require you to put between you and your folks um, to say that you really made it. And so even like mourning relationships and all these different things that like no one really, or the things that you're like, oh damn, I really used to like that about myself. Like I didn't even realize when I stopped talking that way or walking that way or eating that type of food or whatever the thing may be. So I know, I know I talk a lot about grief these days, but I'm like, sometimes it's just really like small things. 
but just because we didn't really give them their proper place like um eventually it like catches up with us in like a major way yes so I'm over here like I'm gonna have to journal after this discussion because <laughs> yeah um well I wanted to build on this conversation of grief work as liberation work because I was thinking about the ancestral part a lot so the opening the opening section here be the ghosts mm-hmm. me and spirits we got a complicated relationship so I was thinking about grief as a spirit that like hunts, that lingers in space, that mounts us like spirits do or can and paralyzes you like in certain ways. And I, I don't think I ever like consider grief as like a spirit until I read this, until I, you know, the poems and prose that were a part of this section. But that thing to me, um, I felt like I've seen it coming up in several, several ways throughout the book, but then I got to Ancestors in the Archives, which that last line, I am collecting my dad, like, I think I closed the book for a minute, like, I closed it, and I was like, you know, just exhaled. I was thinking about ancestral work and collecting our dead, but then that that how that might be in conversation or in, in, in relationship to grief. Do you think there is a relationship to like the hunting that grief can be, like how it hunts us in ways, and also kind of like us doing that ancestral work, if that makes sense? Like, yeah. And thank you for the layers, because as y'all noticed, as you probably have noticed, I'm not a person that. Like, I'm always trying to get it to the heart of all the nuance. So I'm not a person that does, like, a lot of, like, fast answers. So I appreciate, like, the deliberate and intentional, like, way in which you're trying to find a cohesive thread, um, you know, to make it more coherent to folks. But um, <laughs> I feel so at home in this <laughs> in this interview. Um, so if y'all might have noticed, like, one of the, uh, one of the many quotes in the book says, um, you know, it's grief speaking. And it says, I'm sorry we had to meet like this. Um, And so I typically see grief as kind of, oh God, almost like a necessary inconvenience, so to speak. Like, Like our grief is there because loss creates chaos. And our grief is, is there to help us try to identify and work with um, and transmute the chaos. So um, I, I see grief as kind of this, this spirit, like kind of like that uh, classic horror movie trope where like they have like this, this doll or something and they keep trying to get rid of it. But when like the, the people come back, it's like still on the, you know, it's um because I actually have a short story that's like set up similarly um called perishable um but like it's like okay here's this spirit of grief that's present and people don't want to claim it it's like oh it's not mine right but every time you come it's like on your front porch next thing you know it's somewhere in your house um and I'm I'm of the mind that grief is not going to leave us so it's better for us to like to treat it like the visitor that it is. And instead of like, if we can invite it into our spaces, it's like, okay, 
I, f- I have a room for you, grief. Here's a place where I can put you um, so that you're not, you know, being chaotic in my entire house. Um, here are the things that you need, right? So that you're not drinking my favorite juice, so that you're not using, you know, my favorite towels. Like I've already set you up. I've given you the attention that you needed. I've talked to you to ask you about why you're here on this visit. Um, and you have the tangible things you need. And um, it's not that grief is going to go away. But then I believe you developed a relationship with your grief. So when you can recognize it, when you can understand that it's cycle, you know, it's, it's, it's cycles um, in your life, you can understand, like I said, even why it's even present. For a lot of us, right, we, we keep acting like we don't know why the grief is there. We like, you know, we've walked past it on the front porch and we've like kicked it into the into the hedges, um, we've put it in a plastic bag, put it inside of a plastic bag, put it inside a plastic bag, try to put it at the bottom of the, the trash bin and you come back and it's still there. Um, like grief can endure. <laughs> like, so for me, I definitely see it as a, as a type of spirit that is present. Um, and I think the ancestor piece comes in, oh, this is where it kind of gets a little layered because I think survivor's guilt in this iteration is really chronicling like a certain type of generational grief. And I think we talk about breaking generational curses, which sometimes I think curse is such a strong word. <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> it's like, there's some things that happen to your people. Like, <laughs> but you know, we talk about breaking generational curses. And I'm like, some of that is one, like, you know, we come from some people who possibly didn't get a chance to grieve. Right. Um, and so some of that is like rectifying that situation. And then some of it is like, it's like, yes, enslavement. Right. But then that's like, okay, maybe in the forties and fifties. So I think that part of that reckoning, acknowledging our ancestors presence in our life is also like, what are some of the things that we still need to make good on? Like, what are some of the losses that we need to acknowledge? Um, there is, uh, African filmmaker, first name Blitz. He has a film, um, I think it's called The Burial Kojo. And in his interview in a scene magazine that's put out by Black Star Film Fest, he talks about like sometimes even trying to figure out like, are these my memories? Or like, you don't even know like if these are your grandmother's memories that you might be experiencing. And so I think about like, if we don't acknowledge our grief and our people's grief, right? Because we talk about, oh, you can carry things in your DNA. Well, like the loss is there too. Like you're gonna, you're gonna feel that. So what is it like? What does it look like for us to just be like, let me look a little bit more closely at this. Like, who are these people? Right. Um, and the survivors go, you know, I talk about how my um, great, great grandmother, you know, all in a year's time, she lost a husband, she lost like a three-year-old child and lost a pregnancy of six months. And so I'm just like, even when you just know those things, just like, okay, wow, like, what does it look like? You know, how did she move on? Did she, you know, what, what was her grieving process like? So I know, I know I come from people who can obviously, as Lucille Clifton, you know, call, you know, black and going on women. Like I know that I can go on, but I think part of it is like, we don't want to just go on. Like we want to be well too. Right. And so um, I think, yeah, I think looking to our ancestors 
Um, and what is our responsibility there? Because like, like I told you about the piece that I just wrote about, um, about grief work being also freedom work, you know, June Jordan says some of us did not die. And so we owe it, we owe something big to the, you know, to the folks that are still among us. But I think we often think of something big as like a big car, a big job, a big house. But what if some, something big is one of the things that has been relatively inaccessible to us? And that is being able to be fully human and saying like, ouch, black people hurt and we in pain and I need some time off. I need some time away. Um, I need resources so that I can do my grief work as well. When I describe grief as kind of being the spirit that kind of returns to us over and over again, I'm absolutely thinking about um, Lucille Clifton, uh, her her set of poems, you know, talking about the the, the visitations from her from her mom, um, and you know, she describes that in a series of work called "The Light That That Came to Lucille Clifton." And, and one of the lines in there, she says, you know, the truth is furiously knocking. So, you know, you might as well open and um, open up the door, my child. And that's how I feel about grief. Like grief is furiously knocking. Like we might as well let it on in because either way, like it's coming in, right? Like it, it possesses the power to, to find an opening. Um, and so that's, <laughs> that's absolutely how I feel about, about grief and definitely look a lot to Lucille Clifton's work um, around it. So a lot of what you have been saying has deeply resonated with me. I know when I was younger, I used to deny myself grief a lot of times because I was like, oh, someone else needs me. Someone else needs me to be there and to be this and to be that. And it just got to a point where it was, um, yeah, I got up against a wall and I had no other choice but to deal with it. Um, And so for me, what was helpful was therapy I did talk therapy and then I did EMDR but I know for a lot of black people therapy is not accessible or helpful so I was wondering if you know of any ways any accessible ways that black people can process their grief oh so the therapy um and it's funny my first session before I uh left the hospital when my son um was transitioning um a good friend of mine helped me set up a, uh, set up a therapy appointment. And that first appointment was actually with a um, EMDR uh, therapist. Um, and so I think, yes, therapy continues to be relatively inaccessible for folks, whether it's affordability or just finding the right practitioner. Um, I think there are like these therapeutic modalities and talk therapy could be one of those. And so what are some of the other things I think really I think if we are intentional about saying, I can acknowledge grief's role and presence in my life, and then what are the things I want to do to help me transmute it and, and maybe even fully acknowledge it? You know, whether that's people joining spaces or joining groups that like offer compassionate space um, through a, a workshop, like I think that can be helpful. Um, if people like to journal, I think there are different types of resources that people can find. Um, any of the creative, any of the creative options, dance, you know, playing music, painting, photography, something that just basically is saying, um, I'm not avoiding my grief, but this is the way that I'm walking alongside of it to acknowledge it, I think can be helpful. I also, um, 
you know, I I hooked up also with like a, a herbalist, someone that could give me um, different herbs for, for, for grief baths. Um, and then eventually I kind of came up with my own mix. And then I like offer some of those to my friends and my people, tinctures. Um, oh, also energy work. I'm also an energy Reiki practitioner. So um, I definitely believe in, and doing some type of energy work um, to help the grief, you know, move throughout the body. Um, and so those, I think those are some of the options. Um, meditation, movement meditations, I think are also helpful. And I think what I always tell people to do too, like try some stuff, like even just being intentional in a way that you were not before. Like, I feel like that can even make a difference. Like, and I'm not doing like, I, let's say I just now I might've mentioned seven things. I'm probably not doing all seven things at one time, right? It's like, oh, as needed. Um, and so I think that sometimes overwhelms people. I remember um, doing a, I hate even calling them workshops, but I remember doing a grief workshop um, and two with two people that I knew uh, were present. And they were like, you mean I have to do grief work like for forever? And I'm like, yeah, but it's not like that. It's not like every day um, that, you know, but at the same time, the reality is like the grief, the loss is always there, but like not all losses are the same. So sometimes it just needs you to acknowledge it. Um, and everybody's grief doesn't show up in the same way. So for me, I do, I'm not sure we always talk a lot about the physical symptoms of grief. I know we think of like a broken heart, that sort of thing. But like I can physically feel the grief kind of like buzzing in my body when it's overactive or I get this really heavy um, body feeling, but only in my shoulders and my arms. And so then I have to find ways to kind of, you know, to move it about. So I say that to say that people like don't be overwhelmed, like by the possibilities of what you can do to acknowledge your grief. And you, you know, you don't have to do all the same things um, at the same time. You know, some people just need a little fine, uh, uh, a check-in. You know, I was regularly going to therapy after my son passed um, probably a couple times a month in, in, in the first year. And then it kind of slowed up. And now I probably talk to my therapist like, you know, every so often. Um, and especially like when, um, if I'm keeping track of those, this is why also I think it's important to kind of like know what's going on with your grief because when those anniversary days come up and things like that like sometimes we're like oh my god I just feel so like what's wrong with me and then you're like oh shit it's literally like the day or the week you know so be patient with yourself and if you have the potential like I'm like hey like I'm not signing up for anything within this two-week window or I don't want like I can't do interviews or you know I can't book workshops because I, I don't know how it's going to present sometimes you know it goes by without a hitch it's like oh like nothing, it was fine. And then sometimes it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be down for a couple of days. But I think if we don't know it, we also can't like align, like we can't line up our supports. We can't put people on notice. We can't, you know, call and care, all those different things. Um, so I just, what can people do? I think it's really finding something that it allows you, that helps you to kind of move energy, that helps you to transmute what's going on. And we're not all gonna wanna do the same things. Um, and also just try some stuff. Like, I'll be honest, like sometimes I'm not, sometimes I find some stuff corny and I just don't wanna do it. 
And so <laughs> I just not gonna put myself in that in that space. Like it's certain like energies or certain way people talk. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. That seems cheesy. Um, so find, you know, find people that you feel comfortable with. Find people that you're like, oh, you kind of like remind me of like that type of person. And so I can rock with you. Like, that's fine. You don't have, like, there are lots of different types of healing spaces. Um, find some out that, that look right for you. Like it, it's, it's perfectly okay to keep trying until you, until you land on something. Um, yeah. Man, I agree with that because I, I literally, if I don't like the sound, if I don't like the way somebody talks about something, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. People will recommend stuff and I'll go read the description. I'm like, but what works for other folks is fine. Um, but yes. <laughs> and I know like too also, and I know for, for Black folks, especially because a lot of the work that I do is definitely in community with Black people. Um, and so I know that for some of us, um, we we feel most comfortable when we're with folks like us um and so i understand that feels like a certain type of safety a certain type of protection um and so i get it like i absolutely get it so i always tell people even when they come to my space i've had spaces that are like really open to anyone but i always let people know like <laughs> this is the energy that i'm coming from so please know that if you come to this space like i'm absolutely centering black folks and um pulling work from a variety of sources that are most likely created by black people. And so, you know, just so people understand that, but I think, um, I get it. it. It can be a little daunting when you have to keep trying things out. And, um, especially if it requires an investment of time and money and people don't obviously always have an abundance of either of those. So, um, and hell just ask somebody for a referral too. Like sometimes you do gotta like, be like, okay, I have to ask somebody. Like, I can't just rely on like Instagram stories. Like somebody's like, hey girl, you seem a little lighter these days. What you been, what you been doing? <laughs> Before we end, did you have any other final thoughts that you wanted to share? I just, I think I'm always trying to encourage people that find themselves dealing with grief and just saying like, you're on your own timeline. Um, that you like, it, it's definitely like, we have to resist this way of just, rushing and pushing past everything that we feel. Um, and I think that, that it's really okay um, like to turn inward and to focus on yourself um, and to prioritize like your emotional needs. And I know it can be difficult because even like I tell people like I'm, I'm still grieving, like I still have to grieve. Like there's a part of my identity that was absolutely still attached to being Juju's mom. And so there's a part of me, you know, when you, you have a child and you have all these hopes and these dreams and things like that. And yes, I'm still trying to live a full life, but there are parts of me that still are never going to align with that. And so for that, that makes me different in a sense. And so, um, so it's okay. I know we like to think of kind of like healing being this one-time event and who I read all the books, went to therapy five times and, you know, uh, went on a spiritual trek across East Africa and now I'm healed and cured. And sometimes it's just not that simple. And so just allow, just be patient with yourself. Um, and just know that you can also still very much have a full life despite having loss. Um, and I think that too often we only see it as either or. And I think 
just the last thing I want to say, Leah, you had mentioned something that you said, oh, I used to, when people were grieving, I was like, okay, I, like basically you like you were their go-to and you were showing up for folks. Um, and I know that we, a lot of us have been raised to think that like that is a cure, right? Helping other people in their time of need is supposed to fix what's wrong with us. But I think that has like created certain imbalances um, in our relationships. And so I'm saying too, you, you are your best self um, when you are in tune with what your healing needs are. And it doesn't make you selfish to prioritize that because you literally model for other people how they can also be well. Um, and so you don't have to feel like <laughs> it's okay to, it's okay to take care of yourself first. Like I think philosophically, we, we all know, oh gosh, I have to put my oxygen mask on first, can't pour from an empty cup. Um, but a lot of us are just like out here without cups, splashing water on people. And it's really okay. It's really okay to, um, to take care of yourself. And I know we have a lot of guilt around that. Like, especially I think black women, black feminine presenting folks is like, you know, we're just so worried about being caught selfish and not helping people out and people are counting on us and we carrying the generation on our back and oh my goodness. But um, at some point we model for the world how to treat us by how we also treat ourselves. And that absolutely, I think, extends to being able to adequately grieve um, and let folks know when we need care um, and being open and receptive to receiving that care. So I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we didn't talk a lot about the child loss because it was so much more layered than just that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes with books and authors, like people like to focus on like the most traumatic thing instead of like taking it as the whole that it is. Um, but I did want to say that like, I really appreciated the way you wrote about children and particular from the perspective of a parent um and even the ways that you grieve the shifts in the relationship not only when you lose a child but also like when they become a teenager um and I was thinking about that in relation to like from a I don't have children but from the perspective of someone who has had the very extreme shifts with my parents um with my parent relations I, it, it made me think about how to explore that grief. Like there is a certain grief when that shift even happens, like as a child, when your parents are dealing with whatever set of issues they're dealing with. So I think that was another component in the book that I was like, really, um, I really resonated with. So I just wanted to share that as like a final note for myself. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I definitely... I think part of the grief too, when you're a, a child, like, and when you're like, oh, <laughs> my parents really got some things going on. Um, <laughs> I think like, just thinking back to that, like when that kind of innocence is shattered and just like, damn, it's a little, it's a little hectic over here. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I tried to, you know, speak with some, some honesty and clarity around like Julie and our relationship, um, but just like normal teenage stuff too. You know, I think it's just, 
is, is part of those those phases that I think we all you know go through and I guess we all don't go through it because I definitely see some people on Twitter who, who say like oh I can't relate to you know my kids still want to be around me all the time and I'm like oh that's awesome you know so I, I think it's not everyone's experience but I try to capture you know what that feels like um, in real time um, and then just even you know your kids having an identity outside of you um, and that moment when like things don't align <laughs> about expectations. And, um, and so I think also being a young parent, you know, motherhood like really grew me up because I just felt like I had a certain responsibility to make sure that my kids um, had a, a certain type of life, um, even if I didn't always, you know, succeed in that space. But I think, um, yeah, no, it's definitely, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you appreciate that part of the, the book. Yeah. Um, so my final thoughts is I just want to thank you for joining us today. Um, I love everything that you wrote about. Um, I think it's so important to remind Black people that grief is necessary too. I know we both follow the Nat Ministry who talks about rest um, and how important it is for Black people to rest. But I also think that, like you wrote, it's so important for Black people to grieve too. We have so much <laughs> to grieve. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes we deny ourselves of that because we feel like we have to be everything to everyone else instead of um, being there for ourselves. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess that's the the end of the show. So thank you so much, Julia, for coming and talking to us. Wow. Well, so Leah, what are you still holding on to from that interview? Uh, Julia dropped so many gems. I remember when I was going back over this episode to try to find something to promote it. I had like four different sound bites. <laughs> to choose from but I think the most important is like you know we have to make time for our grief or our grief will make us make time for it um and whether that's like you know if it is therapy or writing or dance or singing or just something to like release and to feel your feelings like you have to do it you have to feel your feelings so what about you Honestly, that's been dragging me since we talked to her. <laughs> and of course, it was a grief, drag. <laughs> yeah. And grief has been coming up with almost everybody. I've also taken away just kind of to build off that because you kind of took mine is that grief is not just like attached to death, which means it's a lot of stuff that we aren't we don't understand it as a loss. And so we aren't allowing ourselves to grieve. Um, yeah, that's, that's really what I've been thinking about a lot. Like making that space to grieve properly and recognizing that there's, you know, it's, it's beyond just death. We, we, we're all grieving collectively what we lost in 2020, which is some kind of normal, uh, some 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 
facet of whatever normal is. I don't really think a lot of us were living very normal lives, but there has been, <laughs> there's still have been a loss of like the idea of what's normal and what's not. And so, yeah, and now we're, you know, especially in a place like Mississippi, it feels like honestly reliving a nightmare again. Cause it's like, is everything going to shut down again? Am I going to be alone all the time again? You had to cancel trips here. So yeah, letting, letting myself sit with the grief, letting it flow through me. Um, go read the book y'all. You have to. <laughs> yes. It's so good. Yes. I am glad you brought that up because I did love I believe it was in their short story about Mm -hmm. um, the woman who lost her job that she didn't even want and her having to grieve that. Because I think about that too. Like there's so many things that we are grieving um, right now. I know you were just at Lambda Literary and last year I did Vona virtually and it was, it was beautiful, but I remember crying for like three days right after it. Because I was like, you know, I can't be around people. I can't touch people. I'm going to be back in my home alone with my cat. Um, So, yeah, it's just a lot of grief all the way around. Let me just say, when I, I remember the moment when I cut off, when we logged out of the Zoom after our virtual farewell event, the silence of the loneliness of like, I've been experiencing all these people virtually and like with the click of a button, we're just no longer. Woo. Grief. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, please read Julia's memoirs. So like, it's just, it's just rich and soulful and I I hate to be cheesy healing, but I feel like Mm -hmm. it can help you, um, you know, it can help you through that process in certain ways. So, yeah. So if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Hoodie Plant Mamas on Apple Podcasts. Um, I know we've already gotten four new five-star ratings. So thank y'all so much for that. I know people are giving us five stars. <laughs> wow. Well, if anything from the show resonated with you, make sure you share it with us on social media. Um, please tag us and tag Julia. If she says something that you liked, we'll put her information in here. Show people love. You can find us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye. Bye.